reading from the book of Mark, chapter 11, verses 27 to 33. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or, Who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, church. Good morning, City Lifers. Good morning, visitors and family and friends. Uh, anyone just passing by. So happy to, once again, week 12, I believe, be bringing the word for us this morning, even from my kitchen, our kitchen headquarters here at my apartment. Um, and I'm so excited to bring our word for us this week. You know, it's a, it's a preaching principle of mine that for every story that I share that seems like I'm doing things the right way, for every story where it seems like I got it right, um, I share at least four or five stories of me just completely messing things up, completely getting things wrong, completely getting in God's ways and stepping on his toes of what he's doing. And I do that, and it's actually a privilege. It's something that I uh, miss doing from time to time when I don't get a chance to speak or, or where, I, where I feel like my stories don't line up in that way quite well. Uh, and it's, it's a privilege for me to talk about the times when I get right because I don't mind looking like a fool anymore. I don't mind being made fun of. I don't mind being uh, looking embarrassed. I don't mind it when people speak badly of me if what I'm doing I feel like God has asked me to do. You know, I've told you stories about that girl who came up to me asking for help praying about baking and I prayed for her to go to culinary school and she was talking about smoking weed. I've shared that story. I've talked about when I disrupted what the Holy Spirit was doing in that, in that young guy that I was praying for in Colombia. I shared about that. And I've written countless apology emails for when I've gotten things wrong. I've prayed for people only to afterwards they come up to me and say, yeah, that was, that didn't really do much. That was uh, quite off. And that has happened. I've disrupted chirotic moment after chirotic moment. And I hope I'm getting good at this ministry thing. You know, I hope I'm getting good at this pastor thing. But I do this and I keep on returning, not because of anything that's good in me, but because I've learned this one lesson so deeply that I'm so utterly convinced of this one lesson. And it's that if I'm living my life and doing the things that God has asked me to do, that he's standing right there with me, empowering me, teaching me, filling in all of the holes that I have, 
that if I am doing it with him, that he is there and God stands in front of my life. You know, I, I pray that my life, the life that I live, is no longer just about me. It's no longer about me, but that it's about God and his kingdom first. This week's sermon is a lesson, is a, a sermon that I pray that we all fully understand that we leave this quarantine season with this lesson completely learned so that we never have to come back to this in our lives again, so that it is resolved and done and finished in our hearts so that we can go forward. And it's just this one simple question. It's where does Jesus stand in your life? A simple question. Where does Jesus stand in your life? Now, we're going to be out of Mark today, but I wanted to read Colossians 1 really quick. Colossians 1, verses 15 to 17 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, I pray that everyone that, we, that follows Christ learns this lesson and learns it and never has to return to it again. You know, I, I really feel like this quarantine season is a special, unique season. I pray it's one that we never have to live through again and, and for the rest of our lives. And so I pray that this is a unique time, a special time with special circumstances and that God is teaching us special lessons and up until this point, uh, my perspective, I've tried to hold myself to this one perspective, has been to not ask us to put on anything, to not ask us, oh, what are all the things that we have to add, or all, what are all the things that we have to do that might have, that might have come up from time to time or in one of my prompt questions, but that the, our mindset would not be, what do we need to add, but it would instead be, what do we need to leave this season not carrying anymore? What do we leave, have to leave this quarantine when we finally get to go out and live life the way we all want to? What are the things that we are no longer going to be carrying that we're going to leave behind? So I, I think I see a real biblical parallel between our time right now and the time that Israel spent in exile in Babylon. I see how there are so many similarities, though we have it good compared to them. This is not exactly the same. It's not apples to apples. But I see that over the course of 70 years when Israel was in Babylon and God told them to stay in Babylon and seek the welfare of that city, that one of the major outcomes of this time in Israel's history as a people, as God's people, was that he was rooting out idolatry from them. And from that point on in Israel's history, there was no more evidence of mass idol worshiping. That was a lesson that they learned as a people that God instilled in their hearts as his nation that they only belong to him. And so what are the things that we are leaving behind in this season? What are the things that we had been worshiping as a church and as individuals that we, had, that we brought into this quarantine worshiping that was not God? Now, as, as individuals, what are the things that you've believed in that have just become so apparent that is not bringing you life? As a church, City Life, what, had, what did we used to do 
or what was our culture before that kept us from going after the deeper things of living with God? Let's find out what that is and let's leave that behind in this season. Today I feel a switch though. Today I feel like God is calling me to switch our perspective a little bit. And instead of just talking about or just um, praying about, hey, Lord, what are the things that we need to leave behind? I pray that this lesson here marks the first week where we also focus on, hey, Lord, what do we need to add into our lives? What are the lessons that we have to get down? What are the things that we need to add into our lives right now to help us live better going forward? Again, I'm not talking about what are activities that we need to do necessarily. I'm not necessarily telling you, fill up your schedule. Your schedule's not full enough already. Live for God. Quit your job and only do this or that or that. No, that is not what I'm saying. But in our hearts and in our minds, in our devotion to Him, in our being discipled by Him and one another, what are the things that we, the lessons that we need to get down, that we need to add to our hearts in this season? that will help us to go forward, that will help us to go live lives like we're actually called to live? What are the things that we need to take in? And so let's jump in with that right away. Let's jump in with asking God, God, what is this lesson this week that we, you are calling us to learn? Where do you stand in our lives? And so Clara did a great job reading for us the word. Uh, thank you for doing that, Clara. And so before we go into the body, let me just pray for us. Let's pray for us to enter into this with one heart, unified under God, so that God can speak, the Holy Spirit can speak to us and move in us and change the way that we live our lives, so that we would look differently post-quarantine, post-COVID-19 than we did coming into it. And so, Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for how good you are to us. Holy Spirit, I invite you into this time. I invite you into the time when we watch this video. We invite you into our lives to come and change us, to mold us, to look like you, to look like Christ, to live the lives that you're calling us to do, to look like fools for you, to be embarrassed in your name, to follow you so passionately, to let it consume you. Lord, where do you stand in our lives? Let us believe like in Colossians that everything is for you that everything is for you, and that all of our life is lived for you. In you, all things hold together. So Holy Spirit, please minister to us. Please minister to me as I preach, Lord. Take away any words that do not belong to you. And Lord, we enter into this uh, boldly as a church, as a people searching for you in this time that makes little sense to us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This week, we have such an interesting story here about these group of men that come to Jesus and start questioning him. And really, this should have been a part of last week's sermon. It's a continuation of the same series of couple of events. We talked about our fig tree sandwich last week, right? Um, and this really should have been done with that. But I, I really wanted to separate this story to preach on just these verses for it to really stand out. And that this is a lesson that City Life, we need in our DNA every time we meet, every season that we find ourselves, and in our individual lives, in every season that we have this question sorted, where does Jesus stand in our lives? Whose authority are we going under? Are we in? And so let's recap last week a little bit. We see that Jesus was um, 
going to Jerusalem from Bethany, and he goes upon this fig tree, and it when it should have had these knots that were edible, that were showing that life is coming, don't worry, there will be figs this year. There were none of those knots, and Jesus curses the tree, and then goes to the temple and starts making a scene. He's casting people out. He's John tells us that he makes a whip, and he's whipping people out of there. He's disrupting all the business, everything around this religion that we've established around God's house and his presence, and Jesus is having none of that. And then they go up to the fig tree the next day, and it had died, and Peter was in, he found it incredible that what Jesus told the tree to do, it did, and that they learned this valuable lesson about what does it mean to follow Jesus, and how much room does he claim in our lives, and about religion and being believing in false religion or acting with God instead of being with God instead of belonging to God. And in these powerful stories and all that Jesus was doing here, he was teaching us, he was reminding us that God's presence is special. That God's presence is holy and amazing. It's otherworldly. It's out of this world. Literally, it's out of this universe. It's beyond time. It's beyond our imagination. And that it is entirely bigger than us. That it is so beyond us that we can't even understand how much how big God is and so woe to us when we think that we can control God's presence or we can control God the religion around God or control worship or control our lives and think that everything in our lives has to be what we want it to be that this infinite God that we think we fool ourselves from time to time uh, not even just individually or as a people, and we think that we can control God or turn our backs on Him, ignore His presence. But time after time, Jesus reminds us that He's saying no, that we cannot control Him, that God is wild also, and that He does what He does, and that it is our job to align with what He says, that either Jesus claims everything in our life or He claims nothing. And, and I love how we see that in this story. Last week we talked about living lives like we that show that we actually believe in all of this. And today we're continuing that thread. We're picking up that trend from last week and we're going a little bit deeper. This first section I've just been calling Unmatched Courage. Let, let's read the first two verses in our story here to, to get this context. Verse 27 says, And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave, who gave, or who gave you this authority to do them? So first, before we go on, before we start dissecting their question, their attitude, everything about these men that are contrary to what they should have been doing, let's first acknowledge the fact that Jesus is unmatched in the courage that he lived his life. That if we talk about how in Colossians that Jesus embodied all of God, then he embodied all of God's courage. And to show his face again at this temple, in just a short time after he had overturned their tables, that he had thrown around their money, that he had disrupted their business, that he, like John tells us, formed a whip and was whipping everyone out of this area of the temple. The fact that Jesus was so brave to go there, that he was just so consumed with living for his heavenly father, that he wasn't concerned uh, about losing his life. 
Because only God could take his life. That he wasn't so afraid of being mocked or made fun of or what the people around him thought of him. Imagine walking back into that room and seeing all the people that you threw out of there again there and doing the same thing that they were doing. Imagine the looks on everyone's faces. Imagine the tension. Imagine how awkward it must have been in there. But yet Jesus goes back into the temple because he needs to be close to his father. Now, uh, last week I, I brought the question out that how would our lives look differently if we lived like we actually believed? If our lives were put on paper, would it look like we actually believed in the creator of the universe? And I want to bring that question up a little bit. It's not our main focus for the day, but I wanted to raise it up. I wanted to tweak it and ask it again because of this, because we see this courage that Jesus exemplifies here. And so a question, a new version of that question is, how would your life be different if you lived like you weren't afraid of others, of other people's opinions, or of being made fun of, or for being that coworker who talks about Jesus all the time? What would your life look like if you lived your life so wholly consumed with God and doing what he's asking us to do? I think it would be incredible. But okay, let's get back into the story. Let's wrestle with these men a little bit. We see here that it's the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes that come to Jesus. And they ask him a pretty straightforward question. But what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Now these men uh, make up a really important group of men. They came together and formed this group of 70 men that uh, were called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin were the ones who, who oversaw everything about the temple, about worshiping God, about God's home. And so these men were the ones charged in protecting and fostering and growing the worship of the Lord. But we see here often that they are doing everything but that. We'll get to that in a little bit. That these men who are supposed to be the wisest, the ones who knew God the most, who are most attuned to his presence and taking care of his home, we see that they rarely actually did that. But then let's talk about this question that they pose to him. They say, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? And to me, as a pastor, legitimate questions. Legitimate questions that I would ask of anyone. You better believe... Um, I hope I'm known as someone who is gentle, someone who loves to live a lifestyle of humility. I'm not perfect, but I try to as much as I can. But you better believe that if someone ever came to one of our Sunday services and started yelling and screaming and making a scene and blaspheming, or if anyone came to an, an MC that I was a part of and they just start doing all of these crazy things and making whips and hitting one of us, or even our digital platforms. You better believe if someone comes to our social media and starts talking about Jesus or about us, you better believe that there's a part of me that's going to get triggered as a pastor and as someone who cares about us, that a part of me would turn into Xenia, Xena Warrior Princess and start protecting us and start trying to control everything about that situation and trying to protect us. You know, there's this part of me that when confronted turns into a mother bear to protect her cubs. Uh, for as funny as that picture might seem, 
you better believe that there's going to be a part of me that's saying, oh, what is going on here? And this actually needs to stop right now. And so G their questions to Jesus were really, who do you think you are and, and why, what are you doing? What gives you the right to come to God's house, this place that we've been made in charge over, and start disrupting everything that we do? You know, I relate to questions like, do you know how long we've worshipped God like this? Did you know that God actually built this house for us and that we've been doing this and we're doing a service to people? Do, do you know how hard it is for me as a pastor to go up there and preach my heart out and try to preach truth? Do you know how hard it is to do this, Lord? Why, why are you coming here and disrupting everything? So I, I, I know we make this look easy, Jesus. We make this look really easy, but there's a lot of work that comes into this. Why are you just stopping everything that we're doing? Because these men have a lot, had a lot in stake at this. They had a lot in stake for their lives and what they were doing and how they were profiting off of God and off of his religion. See, we see here that Jesus, he doesn't confront them with an argument or anything, but he does something really special. And to answer their question, he asks them a question. And I've been calling this section just a question straight to the heart. I want to be really quick, clear here that I can relate to those questions, but that these men didn't even ever approach Jesus in the first place with honest hearts that were searching for truth, that they were not in the right place. But instead of engaging again, instead of going in an argument or yelling or doing what he did just the day before, overturning tables and making another scene, Jesus does something that was really common in his day, a rhetorical device. And he asked them a question that would both prove his point and expose their hearts all at the same time. And he, and he brings in this character that we all know by now as John the Baptist. And he says, it was John's baptism, was it from men, was it from man, or was it from heaven? Was it just something that some crazy guy started doing right near a river? Did he eat locusts and wear uncomfortable clothes and go to the desert just because he was a little kooky? Or was it from heaven? Or did God give him that assignment? Was, did God make John the Baptism for this calling to do this special thing? And so we might think, we might legitimately be like, okay, why out of all the characters in scripture, why does he settle on John? Why does he go there? Why is his the answer, the thing that he's hinging all of this interaction on? Why is it about John? And so let's take a look at John really quick before we move on. Let's take a look of why out of everyone, John was significant enough to, to come into this story. See, one of the answers to this question is that John served a really specific role that the Old Testament prophesied about. If we go to Isaiah 40, verses 3 and 4, it says, A voice cries, In the wilderness prepares the way of the Lord. He makes straight in the desert a highway for our Lord. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. And we see here that the role that John the Baptist, his calling, that his ministry that God gave him, was an Old Testament prophesied role 
that before the Messiah came, there would be this one, there would be this man who would come and prepare the way. I, I, I included this verse 4 here, part of verse 4, where it talks about uh, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low because we talked about that last week, about how John, this one man that would come before the Messiah, would come and prepare the way for this one man to bring, we talked about this last week, all the low places high and all the high places low so that everyone had equal access to God, that everyone would be made right again if they went under this one leader, this one Messiah, and this is the role that John the Baptist served. If, if we look at a little bit about his life, he lived an extraordinarily devoted life to God, and he did some crazy weird things. And so Matthew 11 also talks about, the whole, about John the Baptist, and it talks about him in glowing light. Jesus himself is saying this, in Matthew 11, verses 11, he says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Imagine Jesus saying that, out of all men who ever came out of a woman, who are born of a woman, of a woman John is the best. It's so funny that uh, John's story in scripture isn't so long but the whole point of John was that his life wasn't wasn't about him but it was about the one who would come after him and how and that's one of the main reasons why Jesus brings him into this story but let's let's also talk about another part of of why John you know this guy lived a crazy life he wore the most uncomfortable clothes in the most uncomfortable place and he ate honey and locusts, and he did weird things, and somehow in his eccentric life, somehow the people of Israel saw him as a special person, and they really came to love him. Now, I think that one of the greatest weaknesses in our church is that we, uh, as a people, don't love sports enough. It's one of the most glaring weaknesses that we have as a, as a people, and I'll, I'll preach on that another day. That's another day's sermon. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure how many of you just watched the ESPN's Bulls documentary. We saw all of the parts of it, and I really enjoyed it. And it followed the 90s Bulls through all of the championships that they won with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, Steve Kerr, every, every, the whole cast. And it followed this guy, and I just kept on thinking about it in terms of John this week. And for as good as Michael Jordan was at basketball, he always had a certain amount of haters. That there were always people trying to break down what he was building up. That this guy, who was the best basketball player ever, who was acknowledged in his playing career, while he was still playing, to be one of the best, and then eventually the best of all time, from a generation of all-time talents. It's like, why this man... He was acknowledged to be so good, and yet he was not universally loved. And it's just this point that it's rare to see a person who is so good at what they do, who is um, all-time level caliber person or talent, who is fully appreciated in their life. And yet we see here that John the Baptist was already in his life pretty loved by the people, by Israel, pretty accepted as someone special 
that even within his life he was being called a prophet. That's something special. See, God in his life was just so apparent that even how weird he was and even all the weird things that he did, Israel couldn't help but love him and see God in everything that he did. And that just made me think this week that not even the 90s bulls got the love that John the Baptist got. And that's another sentence that I never thought seminary would prepare me to preach. But I, I love that. I love how loved John the Baptist was. And so here we see that Jesus brings John the Baptist into the story for two main reasons. Number one is because he was this Old Testament prophet that was promised to us back in Isaiah and Exodus and Malachi. He was this one who came to do something special to usher the way for someone who John himself said would be greater than him. And because he was so loved. That is important in this story. And so let's talk about the possibilities that the, that the, the Sanhedrin, that these men had. That they had two real answers that they had to think through in, in answering Jesus' question. If they said, if they said that Jesus, John's ministry was from man, then this was a stain against them because if it was from man, the Sanhedrin never fully opposed John and they would have been called out on that. They should have, if they are the ones protecting the worship of God, if they're the ones protecting God's home, then they were always too afraid of the people to challenge him the way that they should. But, okay, what if they also said, if from God? If they acknowledged that John's baptism was from God, then they were also acknowledging the fact that they didn't listen to him, that they didn't do what he said, that John wasn't invited into the worship of God, that he wasn't brought in, yet he was opposed and always on the outside because they didn't want him there. And so how did they respond? This one question that went straight to their heart, that peeled away all of the games that they played, all of the politics that they were a part of. And so let, let's talk about that in our last section for today that I've just been calling Unmatched Cowardice. We started the first section today talking about Jesus' unmatched courage. And it seems fitting in this little mini sandwich that we have near our bigger sandwich with the fig tree that this story starts off with Jesus' courage, and we see how cowardly these men were here as a, a going against Jesus. Read with me verses 31 and to 33. It says, And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, we, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, and we'll talk about that in a second. See, we see, we see that they get together, they huddle up. Think of every old sports movie where they're huddling together, all their heads are together, and they're going through their options. They're saying, oh, we have two potential answers, let's analyze them, let's make a pros and cons list for all of them. And we see here that they are just, no part of this for them was ever about truth. That no part of them was ever actually even about God. But that in their conflict with Jesus, that they were always more concerned with things that did not matter. And see, and it's because 
If you don't know God's presence, if you don't live with Him, if you're not searching for truth, then the best that you can ever do in religion is to pretend and to act. All they knew, all these men knew, was acting and pretending. They did not care or know God's presence, and they were okay with that as long as they could control the temple, as long as they had their power and their money. And, and when you perform, when all you know is acting, when you don't know God for yourself, but you're in this world where He is, and all you can do is pretend, you never are able to stop acting. That you never have relationship, but that you only have performance. You know, feigning religion is the game that is a game that never ends, and it's a game that never ended for them. That they could never just be in God's presence. That they never sought God's presence. But all they could do was pretend like they did. I just think of how what a sad life that is. What a sad life it is to fall into false religion. Because it never ends. There's never any end to acting or performance. And we see that here, even just in how afraid they were of the people. That if they said, okay, if they were honest and said, okay, you know what? John's ministry, yeah, that it came from heaven. That would legitimize Jesus because John was the one coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. And if Jesus is here... If John the Baptist baptized him, if we see that he, when, Jesus, when John sends his disciples to Jesus and Jesus tells them, oh, what do you see? And the answer is that people are being freed, that people are being healed, that the captives are being set free, that the dead are being raised again. Then if we say, okay, John's baptism, John, John's ministry came from heaven, that would legitimize Jesus. That would make him the son of David that everyone had been waiting for. Now, how much courage that would have taken them to acknowledge. Courage that they obviously didn't have. But then also here, it says here, that if they said it was from man, they weren't going to do that. They weren't going to be honest with what they really thought because they were afraid of the people. In Luke 20, it says that one, it says the reason why they didn't want to say it was from man, because it said that they were afraid of being stoned, that the people so loved John and so believed that he was a prophet, that there was no way in the world that they would have legitimized John, but they also were never going to delegitimize him because they were so afraid of the people's love for him. And here I also feel bad for them in that they never stood up for what they really believed in. That even if they were honest in their rejection of Jesus, they never even stood for that. Today we're talking about where does Jesus stand in our life. We also have to realize where we stand in for Jesus. If we're standing up for him, if we're really believing and confessing, and if our lives really show that we believe in the Lord, then our lives would be amazing. We would see God all over the place. See, they, they refused to even stand up in opposition of Jesus. They refused to ever really make a stand in anything. And it would have, I think it would have even been better if they took a stand against Jesus, because then maybe there was hope that they would be honest. Maybe there was hope that they would be brave at some point. But that was a decision that they were never willing to make. 
See, I'll never counsel anyone to oppose Jesus because I, because my love for Jesus and my love for people will not let me permit someone to live a lie, to live something that I think would has eternal consequences. So I'll, I'll never permit that, but I will always encourage people to be honest because if you know what you honestly believe in, then we know where you need to go. Then you, then the Holy Spirit might be able to tell you where you're wrong. And we haven't looked at Jesus' response here, and I want to do that as we close. And so in conclusion, let's look at this last part of Jesus, what Jesus said to them. So to conclude, we see this story opening by Jesus going back into the temple and these men asking him a question. Jesus engages with them by asking another question. And they refuse to answer him. They go through their options and they just say, you know what? Let's take this back door because we're not going to answer. We're not going to legitimize you, but we're also afraid to stand for what we believe in. And Jesus, where he sometimes goes after people, where he sometimes chases people, we, we know that he's the good shepherd and he'll leave the 99 for the one. We know that he pursues people. We see other stories in scripture where God does miraculous things to change people's hearts. But then here, Jesus' response is just this. Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So when I hear this, I think I remember the story about the rich young ruler and that Jesus didn't lower himself so that he would follow him. Now here that these Sanhedrin, these men that were so important, you would want these guys on your side. You would want them fighting for your cause. Jesus doesn't lower himself or his standards and he lets them go. That I love how Jesus chose the 12 disciples, these men that nobody would have chosen, and he's able to change the world through these 12 men. I, I love how Jesus didn't give these men any room to play games with him. And I love how he didn't play games with them in return. He asked them a question that just pierced through everything, that pierced through all of the games that they play with the crowds and with the people, all the ways that they're be able, able to be phony and just blend in and make sure that they don't stand for anything, but they are able to control and profit in whichever way that they want. Jesus doesn't play these games. He's unwilling. He asks a question that leaves them no room of escape without being exposed. And the question here, they, they question him on his authority. And in this question, and in their lack of response, Jesus shows to them that he, you know what, he, his authority belongs to the Father. That he is in line with this John the Baptist character. That he is, had been sent down here from heaven, from God, to be the son of David. And so that, that begs the question, and we have this question answered. We've talked about this in our church before, but C.S. Lewis call, uh, talks about a trilemma. And that Jesus is either one of three things that in the same way he didn't play games and he didn't leave them any rooms. Jesus is either one of these three things that Jesus claiming all of the things that he claimed. He's either the Lord or he's a lunatic or he's a liar. Now, today we're asking this question, where does Jesus stand in your life? And we have to realize that the answer is in one of these three. That either he's the Lord and he takes everything. 
the Lord and He has a say in everything. The Lord in our lives, we don't live for ourselves anymore, but we live for Him and His ministry and His kingdom. Or He's one of the two that they, ref that they thought He was and refused to say. That He was either a, a liar, that the man who, he can't be just a good teacher, but that he has to be a liar because he claims to be the Son of God. And so whatever good teaching he had, and whatever good things that he did, if he was not this Son of Man, then he's a liar. Or that he's just out of his mind. Jesus is one of these three things. And so I, we raise the question again, where does Jesus stand in your life? And everything that Jesus does here, and everything that he shows, he shows us that he lives a life that's 100% devoted to the Lord, to his Father, and to bringing his kingdom here. It's to bringing everyone back into relationship with Jesus. And so that is, that is why we say that everything that we do comes out of the authority of belonging to Jesus. Because I have no power, you have no power. Together we have no power, we're just a group of broken people but that we stake all of what we are and all of what we do in the authority of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is an amazing claim, that Jesus claims sole authority over everything, that passages like Colossians 1 tell us that Jesus is either everything or he's nothing, that he either gets everything or he doesn't get anything. It would be foolish to give him a little bit if you're not giving him everything. And so again, bringing it into the context that we find ourselves in. In this quarantine season, what are the things that you're leaving behind now? Because if Jesus has all authority, then we need to let him inform us of the ways, the attitudes of our heart, our worldview, our perspective, the behaviors that we do, the lifestyles that we live. But we also need to answer this question. We have to realize what we, it is that we're bringing forward. What it is that we're asking God to bring into our hearts. What lessons do we need to learn so that from here on out we live lives like we really believe. Now, City Life, I, I love this church. I love what God does in our church. The tone in these last two weeks might have been a sounding harsh. But to me, this comes out of a place where I don't want any excuse for us to not wholeheartedly hope with all of our passions, with all of our talents, be going after transformation from Jesus, living lives that 100% show that we believe in him and who he says that he is. Because either Jesus is the Lord or he's a lunatic and a liar, and we shouldn't be doing all of these things that we do for him. Lord, we are convinced as a body, as a faith, as a community of believers, that you are our Lord and that you are our Savior. And so, City Life, let's, let's be in a posture of wrestling in this season to answer this question so that in all of our hearts we have this answered and we never have to come back to it. That in every season of our lives, every day of our life, we never have to answer the question of, is Jesus Lord or how much of my life does he get? Because the answer to that is, yes, he is Lord, and he gets to do anything that he wants in our lives. That as a church, we would just so passionately be telling everyone that this guy was a special guy. He was more than just a man, but that he was also God. And that they should know him, and that they should follow him and call him Lord.
And so let, let's pursue this without any excuses, without any reason why we shouldn't be doing this with our whole lives as a church. Let's have this posture of letting, you know, Jesus, you get to tell us what to do all the time. And our lives will never be the same again. Our church will go into this new phase of effectiveness and of calling people into faith and of our hearts being strengthened and growing. I'm praying this in for this season of our church, that we leave quarantine with a higher level of faith that would even surprise us. And so, see, like, I love this journey that we're on. I love that we get to do it with a God who is perfect and who came down here and lived it with us, showed us what it is like, and knows everything that we suffer because he suffered it himself. So I love being on this journey with you, uh, with our church, with one another, and let's pursue this in every time that we meet. Every time that we're together on Sunday or an MC or any new thing that comes about in this season, let's pursue Jesus with everything because he gets to have a say in everything. He gets to build our lives. We no longer live our lives for ourselves, but for him. And so we're not doing a whole church call this week. We're getting into our MC calls. Go on the same links that you normally do, or if you've been otherwise instructed by your MC leaders. Let's, let's get on these calls and let's process this word a little bit and let's make sure that we leave this season here with our whole hearts committed, with, with this lesson learned that we live for Jesus and we should live for him wholeheartedly. Where does Jesus stand in your life? He stands in front of it. He stands behind it. He stands in the middle and to your sides. He is in all of it. And so let me pray for us really quick before we leave. Jesus, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for your courage. I thank you that you stood up to um, those who just pretended to know you so that we could know you, so that when we received the Holy Spirit, we would just be so consumed with living our lives for you. Lord, uh, for any area in our hearts and in our lives, Lord, any beliefs or any stumbling blocks that we think we have, I pray for your immense wisdom to be teaching us and leading us and putting us in community to learn these lessons so that we can live wholeheartedly for you. We believe that you are all truth and, and that you are the way to go, that Jesus was our Messiah. And so, Lord, help us to pursue that in all the right ways. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Um, let's talk about our prompt questions and then let's hop on these calls. The first question that we have today is really just a summary of the whole of the whole word for today. Is what percentage of your life is consumed by Jesus? Let, let's think about it, maybe make it a little bit more practical. If you had to give a percentage of how much of your life is informed by your faith, throw it out there so that we see how much of our lives we still need to surrender to Jesus. The second prompt question that we have for today really comes out of our Colossians 1 reading. And the question is this, is everything really for and held together by Jesus? When we read Colossians, when we read that he is the image of this invisible God, that everything was made for him and by him and that he holds everything together, what is our gut reaction? Is there anything that we feel like is apart from this man, from this, from our faith in this man? Or, or is your heart really in a place where you can accept that fully? 
And our last question for the day is, is there something that you need to add to your faith before this quarantine season is through? Again, like I said in the message, uh, this isn't coming out of a place of what else do you need to do in your life? How else do you need to make your schedule fuller for Jesus? Though for some of us that might be the case. But this is really more about attitude and heart and beliefs. Is there Are there lessons that we know we need to learn? Is there things, parts of faith, parts of living with Jesus that we are aware of where we don't believe or that we believe with only a little bit of our heart that we need to wrestle with in this season. We need to identify those so that Jesus gets so that Jesus informs all of our faith and that we live our our lives wholeheartedly for him. And so church, we love you. Let's get on these calls. We'll see you in our MCs this week. We'll continue to be communicating through our DMAT and our website and emails. We love you and uh, we'll see you soon.